So good uh, afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Ben Blanc from uh, WPI. I will be your uh, co-host for today's webinar. Before we begin, uh, I just want to remind you when logging in, please make sure to uh, enter the name that you have registered. Uh, also, make sure your phone or computer is on mute. And if you have any question during the webinar, use the ch chat option to ask your question. Uh, there will be a Q&A session at the end. This is when we will read them. And our, uh, then our guest speaker will provide you uh, with the answer. Uh, this webinar is co-hosted by WPI and uh, Juno County Economic Development Corporation. Juno uh, GCEDC is a non-for-profit organization uh, that promotes the economic development of Juno uh, County, Wisconsin, and its respective city, villages, and town. Uh, WPI, or Wisconsin Procurement Institute, is a non-for-profit organization located in Wisconsin with mission to assist small business in creating, developing, and growing their uh, federal uh, their sales revenue and job through federal, state, and local government contracts. Now, I would like to introduce our guest speaker. Uh, Dane Dutch is the president of DCS Netlink. And uh, this afternoon, Dane will uh, talk about the one key element for improving your small business cybersecurity, uh, the human factor. Dane, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. How are you? Good, then I'm going to switch the uh, the screen to you and to uh, make you the presenter. Yep, absolutely. Great. And then you're now the presenter. And I think we're here. Can you see my screen okay, Ben? Yes. All right. Well, welcome, 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 everyone. So today we have the opportunity to be able to just discuss cybersecurity from a couple of different angles, but the, the primary one that I want to focus on is everything drives back to what I call the human factor. So as we go along here, please make sure you write down your questions and we'll answer them towards the end. I want to make sure that we don't um, end this call without with anyone having any questions that weren't answered because there are lots of concerns for folks out there these days about cybersecurity. And, uh, and, and how they can protect themselves. So thank you very much for coming on the call with us today and hopefully this will be beneficial for you. I'm sure you're gonna hear things that maybe you haven't heard before um, that will strike some interest and also uh, help you um, to be able to determine what direction you need to go in the future with your cybersecurity in your organization. So, all right, with that, let's go on to the next slide. <clears throat> One of the things that's happening is, and you, you probably know this, but you probably haven't actually seen the statistics. There's an internet, or an internet site called Internet Live Stats. Very interesting um, site because it actually shows you how quickly all of the internet users, the number of websites, emails sent, Google searches, blog posts, and many, many more are increasing exponentially every single day. And because of that, life is becoming a lot more difficult for a lot of us because that change is happening so very fast. It's really tough to stay current with a lot of things, especially when the threats change. The whole landscape with cybersecurity is changing. And so it takes more than just knowledge these days. It takes teamwork 
and it takes partnerships with each other it, based on trust to be able to make uh, and keep make your, your organization, your family, and yourself secure as well as stay secure. So today there's a couple of things that, that I really want to introduce. Uh, first of all, I'm Dane Deutsch and I'll give you a little introduction of my background. This little character in the upper right-hand corner of your screen is who we term Bobby Blackhead. Totally a fictitious character, but we want to make sure that we gave something visual to people when we're talking about the bad guys. So Bobby Blackhead is the quote-unquote bad guy that we're going to be talking about today. The person who would like to get a hold of your W-2s or fish money out of your bank account or potentially get into your network and do something else uh, even more dastardly. So. Um, keep that in mind. Bobby is the bad guy, and we're going to talk about how we can make sure we keep Bobby away from us at arm's length at least, but keep our network secure. I'll talk about some examples of the real threat out there. We'll talk about the key to security processes and procedures. How to increase cyber awareness, not just for yourself, but also for your people, your team, and your family. We'll talk about the fact that creating a budget is very important, especially in terms of cybersecurity. We'll identify some of those weak links, and we'll help you identify how, how can you um, get the tools, obtain the right kind of processes and procedures to identify security breaches, and then finally, what to do when you're breached or compromised. So with that, let me introduce you to my background a little bit. I am a retired Air Force officer, and my last active duty assignment, I was the IT chief of maintenance for the entire country of Turkey. People think, well, it's in Turkey, so it must have been really antiquated technology, but in reality, we had some of the most modern technology even back in the 80s, and I left Turkey in 1989, so that was almost 30 years ago. But some of the things that we're doing right now, like for instance, being able to use mobile phones to uh, get on the internet with your laptop, we were doing that in the 80s in Turkey, wireless. And mostly because in Turkey, uh, copper was a black market item. So if we laid any copper in the ground, it got stolen. So we had to be very creative and we were way ahead of our time in terms of um, being able to be wireless. We also put in the first email server and we had the first what was the predecessor to the internet called ARPANET. And so we gave out emails to all of Europe, Northern Africa, the Middle East, and the Mediterranean, including NATO, in the 1980s. There were no graphical things on the screen that you could see, like Bobby Blackhat's image up there. Um, but at the same token, um, everyone had um, not their name for their email, but just letters. So you never knew who you were emailing. Yeah, but it was a fun time, and it was very exciting for us to start um, with the email server and have all that experience in the past. But even then, in the 1987, I think I picked up my first book on viruses, Trojans, and worms, even though it was ARPANET and wasn't internet at the time. There was no World Wide Web at that point in time. Nobody had websites. We just sent images and emails, and that was it. So today, it's certainly changed, and the growth and speed of that change has consistently uh, continued to increase. So the last 27 years, we've been building our IT business and focusing on IT with security. And not today, we started as PC2Go because it was all about PCs many years ago. And then we gravitated into what we call DCS NetLink, about networking and linking people together. And today, 
it's more about cloud solutions. So we changed our name to DCS Dynamic Cloud Solutions. So that's kind of how we've evolved. All of the people at DCS Netlink, including myself, have been FBI Secured InfraGuard members. Um, and we can talk more about InfraGuard later, but a very good organization that partners with private industry to make sure that private industry understands the leading threats and how to protect themselves and that kind of thing by partnering with government, in this case, the FBI. Um, so everyone here, whether it's an administrator or an engineer, is actually a secured InfraGuard member, which means we have access to law enforcement sensitive information, and that helps us stay ahead of the bad guys. Okay, so I wanna start out with a very good example of someone who potentially did not have hardly any security in their network, and they ended up being compromised. This is Kate Machine and Welding, and actually I've talked to a couple of people who knew them very well because they do quite a bit of federal government uh, contracting. And in this particular instance, it's a small Wisconsin manufacturing company, and they were taken over by the Chinese. They had one server in the back of their office area, and that server was used to actually allow the hackers to have a platform in which they could either spy or attack others from inside the United States. You can find this on the web. The fact that the hackers used it to plan and stage attacks was pretty well known, and that was back in 2016. So not that long ago, um, we see that even a small company in Wisconsin was taken over by the Chinese and they wanted to use their machines. So lots of times I hear customers say, oh, I don't really have anything anyone would want, no hackers are gonna hack me, or if I haven't been hacked yet, I probably won't be. But in this particular instance, Cape Machine and Welding did not know that they were in their network until the FBI showed up on their doorstep. So there were no eyes and ears on their network. They had no idea anyone was using their network for uh, other than good, uh, means. And so in this particular instance, it continued to uh, play out until the FBI showed up. So we're going to talk a lot about how do I get eyes on or how can I know that my network has not been compromised? And I'll show you a couple of the different ways that, um, that we use and we help our customers to be able to um, know visually what's happening in their network. All right, so let's bring that home a little closer. So there's one where the Chinese hacked in, took over a server and that kind of thing. But how about other things? Barron School District, and this is public information. None of this is uh, information that isn't already out there in the newspapers and so forth. They're a, a school district about 15 miles from us. And in this particular instance, uh, just so you know, overall in 2017, 145 businesses had their W-2s fished. Phishing means that someone sent an email to them and they gave their W-2s potentially to the person that was requesting them. It could be uh, in the case of Barron School District that those W-2s were fished because the email appeared to come from the superintendent of schools, but it wasn't. It was just uh, faked, for instance. And so they gave the W-2s thinking it went to the superintendent only afterwards to find out that it actually did not and the W-2s then were compromised. And so today, everyone has fraud alerting, but we know that as of last spring, at least six of those teachers had their tax returns filed for them. So very dangerous. Um, schools and businesses normally have no budget for risk assessment. 
And we've talked to several schools recently uh, where they still don't have any budget for, for risk assessment. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about why we need a budget, but in Barron School District, um, there was no budget for risk assessment either. And even today, we can see that there are hundreds of their uh, credentials, per se, on the underground in the dark web. And so that means the bad guys have access to who is in their network or who belongs to their school district and might be able to take advantage of them just knowing those email addresses. Another good example of that, kind of in relationship a little bit to this, is Equifax. Sometimes people think that, well, they're not going to get my W-2, so I don't have to worry about it. But in reality, like with Equifax, neither you nor I knew Equifax um, personally. We hadn't actually dealt with them maybe directly. But if you went to get a loan for a car or a, a stove or maybe a refrigerator or something else, probably the company you were buying it from used Equifax to look up your financial status. You know, are you a good risk to sell this to and give a loan to? or are you a poor risk? And because of that, Equifax had all of our personal data. Over almost half, or maybe a little bit more than half in the United States citizens were breached in the Equifax hack, and none of us really had any direct dealings with Equifax. So like in the Barron School District, it was more direct, but in Equifax and sometimes in other hacks that are out there, we don't really have control of those things. So I just wanted to point out that sometimes people think they've got their network secure, but in this global age of interconnectivity, we're all connected to one another. And Equifax was a great example of that breach really being bad for all of us. So things have changed. But unfortunately, what I really wanna to communicate to all of you today is many of what I see our customers out there have not changed. They continue to do business as if nothing has changed, and yet that landscape of cyber threat and risk has definitely changed. And that's the reason why we're on this call today, and so I wanna thank you for that again. So before I go any further, I wanna give you a real uh, great example of a quote-unquote hacker that is social engineering someone's cell phone account. So I invited a few of the world's best hackers to try to hack me and show me where my vulnerabilities are. And now I'm going to meet them in Las Vegas for DEF CON, the biggest hacker convention of the year. They're going to hack me using social engineering, which is essentially hacking without any code. They just use a phone and an internet connection. You want to do a sample of phishing call? What's phishing? Phishing is voice solicitation. And basically um, what you do is you use the phone to extract information or data points that can be used in a later attack. Let's do it. Okay. You, who are you gonna call? Maybe I'll call your cell phone provider and see if I can get them to give me your email address. I, I bet they're good. I bet they have my back, <laughs> but yeah, go, go for it. I'm gonna spoof from your number, so it's gonna look like it's calling from you. Okay. Hi, I'm actually, I'm so sorry. Can you hear me okay? I, my baby, I'm sorry. <laughs> my, my husband's like, we're about to apply for a loan and we just had a baby and he's like, get this done by today. So I'm so sorry, I can't I, um, call you back. <laughs> I'm trying to log into our account for uses information and I can't remember what email address we use to log the account. The baby's crying and um, can, can you help me? Awesome. In just 30 seconds, Jessica gets access to my personal email address. Now, if I needed to um, add our bigger daughter on our account so she could call 
call in and make changes, how would I need to go about this? You would have to send me a secure pin through a text message. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I don't think I'll be able to receive a text message if I'm on the phone. Oh, I'm not on there either? So I thought when we got married, um, he added me to the account. Jess uses my girlfriend's name and a big social security number. 5127. To set up her own personal access to my account. Wait, I'm sorry. So there's no password on my account right now? Can I set that up? She even gets the support person to change my password. Thank you so much for your help today. So she just basically blocked me out of my own account. I'll get her set up. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Holy shit. So they they just gave they just gave you access to my entire cell phone account. You're gonna have to go on and change your password account because it's just my name. And all it took was a crying baby and a phone call. So hopefully that gives you an idea of what it's really like in terms of um, you know how easy sometimes the hackers can get through just by social doing what we call social engineering pretending to be someone they're not so in this particular instance you notice it started with his email address and so a lot of people today think that because they um, have a firewall and they have virus antivirus and they have anti-malware they're pretty secure and they may very well be but the key is is that if our email address somehow gets exposed to the bad guys on the underground, bad things can happen to us. And one of those things is the dark web provides those tools the hackers have to be able to take advantage of your email address. So in this particular instance, you could say that the enemy may actually be us, ourselves. We are the weakest link. Now, in this presentation, I'm not going to show all these videos, but this is a great example, this Tiger Team, of another social engineering venture. The guy on the left, or the guy on the far right there is Chris Nickerson, a friend of mine from Alternative Technologies from years back. And this was actually a television show. And their whole goal was to be able to hack into uh, companies and show how vulnerable they were, uh, both technologically as well as social engineering-wise. In this particular instance, they, they broke into the Beverly Hills uh, largest jewelry store and uh, so it's a very interesting uh, there's four parts to this particular uh, video for this episode so I encourage you all just to go out to YouTube and you can just uh, you know search on Tiger Team and you'll see all of their different uh, quote-unquote capers and episodes out there that'll help you learn a little bit more about social engineering because the more you learn about how the bad guys can social engineer us or you um, the better you can protect yourself so with the idea that the enemy may actually be us, there's a couple of things we've got to think about. Instead of thinking the problem is always with someone else or the bad guys don't really want something that we have, we have to kind of change that a little bit. We need to think, you know, some people will say it hasn't happened to me, it most likely won't happen. That's kind of like life insurance, right? But in reality, the key is to build trust relationships and believe, first of all, worst case that, yep, I'm vulnerable, what can I do to increase my security? So if you think about it like this, your future is only as secure as you make the choice to be. And if you choose to believe that you're not at risk, then you really actually have a much higher risk. At the same time, that whole risk can be minimized by who you choose to be connected with, who's around you, who helps you be stronger, and knowing who helps you be weaker, so to speak. So the key is make sure you partner with a company that leads with character first.
because character is that piece of of our entity that helps is the glue that helps build trust with relationships and we definitely need teamwork to be able to pull ourselves together uh, even if we're geographically isolated in order to be able to fend off Bobby and the rest of the enemy that's out there one of the things at the very bottom I wrote verify first and trust second you probably all heard of things where people are on Facebook and they get a message that pops up or they're on their their computer doing something and it might come up and say Microsoft has detected a virus on your machine it's still amazing how many people bring their machines into us here at DCS Netlink to be cleaned or call us because their bank account has just been accessed by someone outside of their family and they gave the their credit card and other critical information on them their personal private information to the bad guys thinking it was Microsoft or someone else another great example of social engineering so in this particular instance I want to kind of introduce you to NIST because we need a method of being able to create a framework to say okay these are the things I need to do in order to get secure and stay secure so I want to play this real short video from the cybersecurity framework that NIST put out there um, from a couple of different people in this case Greg from JP Morgan Chase and others to help you understand what that framework might be because otherwise what I see is so many people out there are kind of grasping at different you know they're trying to pull different strings and and grasping at different straws to sort of try and put together some kind of security program when in reality this NIST uh, has an actual cybersecurity framework already developed all we need to do is know how to take advantage of it and follow it the cybersecurity framework in our mind has been so successful because um, it has very large broad appeal to many organizations, um, small, medium businesses, large organizations. It helps us communicate risk in ways that everyone understands from the you know, server room to the boardroom. It provides uh, companies with a common language. So whether you're a CEO or you just walked into a company the first time as a new employee, it's something that you can feasibly grasp. One of the things that is so exciting is that this has moved out of being just a public policy conversation and it is moving into being a business strategy conversation. So I find that really cool. You know, it talks a lot about how an entity should assess their risks and then apply the framework to their environment. It gives them a lot of flexibility. So it's not a one size fits all model. The fact that, uh, you know, you have this uh, flexibility inside the framework is something that is uh, really new in the context of uh, you know standards and the similar things. It cuts across all different segments, whether it's manufacturing, agriculture. It's a framework that can be used across many areas, many businesses, etc. So therefore, it's a very inclusive type of framework. My belief is it's really the most comprehensive view of the full set of things you needed to do. Very interesting. A couple of things there. One, common language. Again, just like teamwork and who you partner with, you need a common language to be able to deal with the bad guys. They're working 24 by 7, many of them. There are military militias and others around the world uh, that are actually practicing their craft every single day 24-7. You and I are just trying to carry on normal business. So if we can speak a common language and use a common framework, we can be stronger and not become the weakest link in the security chain. So 
I provided a couple of links here, but overall, if you just go out and Google up NIST cybersecurity framework, you'll actually be able to see the framework. There's a PDF out here. There's an Excel spreadsheet and some other draft kind of um, documents that will help you get started with understanding what NIST is. It, NIST is not a regulatory agency of the government. It's actually just like it says, it provides a framework. It's an organization that provides a framework so that you can use that to weave together a really strong cybersecurity presence on the web and make sure that you are able to fend off the bad guys both inside and outside your network. So one of the things I've learned is what does not get measured does not get done. So somehow you have to have a place to put this data that you are working through the, the framework with and then measure whether or not you're actually getting it done or not. Sometimes we, we all have to-do lists, right? And we write goals down and we think, okay, this is great, you have good intentions. But in the cybersecurity arena, good, good intentions aren't good enough. We need good intentions, yes. We need to establish goals, yes. But we also have to be able to go and do and then measure those to know that we actually are making progress. And the NIST framework helps us do that. That's its real key. So just in terms of cyber landscape today, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. Let's just think about this in a bigger uh, scope for a minute. What if I told you that for the first time in history that the U.S. government and military cannot protect us as citizens? You and I are now called netizens, network citizens, or world citizens, so to speak. We're all on the Internet. And because of that, there are no boundaries. There are no real lines of demarcation that separate us as American citizens from another culture or another country. And so those lines are all blurred. And because of that, things become much more difficult to secure. Even four-star generals still haven't stood up the cyber command properly yet today. And I have been in rooms with two, three, and four-star generals where they asked us for help because they didn't know how to do it. So I'm not just saying that because it's my opinion. One Wisconsinite who has been a past NSA person says the Chinese are in every one of our systems. It's only a matter of time. And I've listened to him give his presentations to those four-star generals before because the people that are in leadership positions understand that there is a time that is slowly eroding and that we need to get secure and get secure quickly. And we still haven't been able to accomplish that totally. And maybe we never will because cybersecurity is something that's got to be constantly worked on. So you probably heard media's reported government and business being hacked at one time or another, U.S. Army, U.S. Senate. So no one is immune from cyber threats, and they are increasing in quantity and severity. I use this thing called Houdini concept. You probably heard of Harry Houdini, right? The great magician, escape artist. So I like to say that I go by the Houdini concept because I try to coach my customers to understand that. If they do, they'll do a much better job of locking things down and taking the right kind of steps to stay locked down. But think of it like this. If something was built by mankind, then it can be broken into by mankind. Same as Harry Houdini believed about locks. And because of that, the bad guys believe that same thing. And that's what I call the human factor. That is really the weakest link. And sometimes 
it can be that simple that it's just the human factor and that's what we need to be able to strengthen. So let me give you another example of a large manufacturer, eight states, eight manufacturing uh, facilities and one in each of those states. Just before Christmas, this manufacturer called me and they'd had money siphoned out of their account four times. The fourth time, they stopped it. But the three previous times, the bad guys were successful. They had no idea how the bad guys were getting into their network, nor how the money was being siphoned. They had none at all. So they called us and we helped them put the system together. However, before we were able to do that, the CEO was still on the phone asking me this question. Tell me again, why should I do this? Why do I need to do what you're recommending? Here they've had money siphoned out almost four times, three times for sure, and he's still asking the question on why he should believe me and why did he need to do what I was recommending. That's the human factor. So there are a couple of things that I've noticed and learned from over time. And these are the human factor threats, what I call the top human factor threats. Number one, nobody has actually established, or I should, and when I say these no, it means a minimal number of people have probably done this, but a majority have not. They haven't established a budget. They have no money to prepare and stay prepared. So that's number one. Number two, they don't have real security processes and procedures in place. They think their IT guy is enough. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard CEOs and leaders of different organizations and managers say, oh, we have an IT staff that will do that. And I could give you some names of large companies that even you have eaten at or gone and bought uh, product or services from recently that one of them in particular that I'm thinking of right now actually told me that and it was less than a year later and their entire company was compromised but yet they had a whole IT staff so the IT guy might not be enough because they're your team who's looking over their shoulders to make sure that um, there isn't a weakness there that might be discovered that's the reason why we need teamwork and in the military we called that two-person control we never allowed one person, for instance, to turn the key to the nuclear silo without another person far enough away that neither one could collaborate together and both had to be able to turn the keys within a certain period of time. Same thing for security. You don't want just your IT staff to be there, but you need an outside view, one that is not biased, that can come in and give you the real hard truth on things from time to time. So that's just part of it. But the security processes and procedures that you can use with NIST, outlining them, and then documenting them in different products or services, and then actually measuring your process over time will really, really minimize that human factor. Here's another one, no security awareness training program. As an example, I heard this story of a school that also got fished with their W-2s. The two ladies in their finance department receive an email from one of their leadership uh, people, and the conversation went something like this. Hey, and I don't know, this is just a fake name I'm making up. Hey, Frank uh, wants us to send all the W-2s to him. Should we really do that? And the other person in the office says, well, you know how Frank is if we don't just do what he says. So in this particular instance, they had had no security awareness training to know that phishing was possible or what to look for. 
and on top of that, the culture inside their organization lended itself to people being afraid of internal threats, like from their superintendent, if they questioned his authority, and so they just gave up the W-2s. So that security awareness training is extremely important from several different aspects. But on top of that, we offer us, and, and lots of people do offer security awareness training that allows you to send out phishing emails to your own people and then measure that. Some of the manufacturing plants that we service with the program like that have started with like a 60 or 80% fish prone rate, meaning they're likely to get fished and they were clicking on these links right away. And within a matter of a couple of months, we got that fish prone rate down into the 10 to 15%. So at least people were aware. It's not good enough just to watch a video anymore. We have to measure it. Remember, if it's not measured, it doesn't get done. Behavior doesn't change. And in the human factor being the greatest threat, we need that behavior to change. Another thing that's interesting is, and I said no way to measure, but we have to actually improve the weak links. But if we can't find the weak links in our organization or our culture of our company, then we can't really measure it either. So making sure that we believe that there are weak links out there and trying to strengthen each of those weak links is critical. Many companies have no alerting mechanisms in place at all. And when I say that, let me just give you a great example. I train companies all over the United States, especially banking and financial institutions, on their firewalls. Yes, we need a firewall to keep the bad guys out. That is your first line of defense. However, the interesting part about it is that out of nine out of 10 banks that have come and trained with me have no, no what we call logging in place. Even if someone did break in like at Kate Welding and they were using their network, they would not be able to identify that someone was in their network because they have no logs to show who was doing what in their network. Let me give you a real live example of that, Target. Maybe you shopped at Target. Obviously, most of us in the past uh, are aware of the news reports on Target being hacked by a little HVAC vendor who had some malware, and when they entered into their network, that malware got spread across their point of sale machines. So anyone that was swiping credit cards, the credit cards were potentially being stolen. So in this particular instance, my understanding is, and I think there, there, if I remember right, there are quite a few articles that actually talk about this. You go out and Google it up. Um, Target knew there was something wrong in their network months before they really discovered that the malware existed because they saw it in their logs. So here in this case, they got some type of alert, but they didn't dig into it deep enough to be able to stop it early enough. So whether you have alerting mechanisms, I mean, that would be the best part is getting some kind of log that tells you and alerts you. But the second part is once you get an alert, making sure you don't believe that it's false or a fake alert that you actually uh, do something about it and dig into it deeper. So again, whether it's Target, who knew there was something maybe going on but never looked into it, or other people who don't even have a log of what's going on in their network, those are still human factor threats. And finally, people don't know who to call. And the interesting and easiest answer to who should you call, you should call the company you've partnered with before you are compromised. So the question is, are you coachable? Are your people coachable? I'm a gymnastics coach and I've been in gymnastics for over 35 years coaching. 
And I can tell you there are some gymnasts or athletes that are coachable and others that are not. And so when people partner with us, for instance, we take a different kind of view on this. We end up becoming their cybersecurity coaches. And because of that, that whole teamwork concept, the, the whole idea of, hey, I've got to minimize the human factor and make sure that that human factor threat is minimized in my organization so that I can increase my security is really key. Sometimes that's kind of a strange concept to people. They've never heard of that before, but it's really key to being secure in this really crazy risk and vulnerable uh, global internet world that we live in today. I wanna play this next video for you. This will give you a little bit more of an example of the full scope of the NIST cybersecurity framework. And if you've got a piece of paper and a pencil, there are a couple of things like you see here in these blocks, analysis or response planning, you might wanna write down these particular headings. They're very, very interesting. You can maybe uh, ask some questions about it afterwards. We must address our cybersecurity risk. How is this going to affect our bottom line? We're going to need more personnel. What's wrong with the way we've been doing it? Why is the additional expense necessary? The cybersecurity framework in our mind has been so successful because um, it has very large, broad appeal to many organizations. Um, small, medium businesses, large organizations, it cuts across all different segments, whether it's manufacturing, agriculture. It's a framework that can be used across many areas, many businesses, et cetera. So therefore, it's a very inclusive type of framework. provides uh, companies with a common language. So whether you're a CEO or you just walked into a company the first time as a new employee, it's something that you can feasibly grasp. And this one offers the ease of understanding, um, simplicity um, in a very complex topic. It helps us communicate risk in ways that everyone understands from the, from the server room to the boardroom. building out the detect function. This aligns well with kind of what's been going on in the industry at large, which is an evolution from kind of a protection kind of mindset to one where there's a recognition that organizations are going to have successful cyber attacks. And so it's not just about defending the perimeter, but ultimately detecting attack and hoping to mitigate 
the um, consequences and the duration and they get to the actual target. Hello, I see that you selected continuous monitoring. Are you also interested in response planning and analysis? Not today. We already have an existing SOC security risk practice, so we're only looking to add a few new categories at this time. Excellent. The framework is designed with exactly that type of flexibility. It allows you to choose what works for your particular risk disposition and business. Customize it to best suit your needs. Have a nice day, sir. Because of the cybersecurity framework, I'm proud to report that we have minimized our risks and have significantly reduced our vulnerabilities to cyber threats. Hopefully that gave you a, a little bit of understanding further on terms of um, how the, the NIST framework uh, will work. Number one, it said it was customizable, so you don't have to do the whole thing. If you've got different pieces in your organization right now, it will help you find those holes or those weak parts and be able to bring that fabric together so you don't have any real exposures to those risks and vulnerabilities out there. Secondly, again, we heard the whole idea of common language. So it's in English, it's not necessarily all techie. It needs to be something that can actually connect with the people at the top, who generally us as the managers and leaders of an organization are not the ones that know all of the technical details. We, we often, and I hear this quite regularly, people will say, I delegate that to all my IT people. But delegation doesn't relieve you of your responsibility. And so you can't, delegate your responsibility. You still have to be responsible and accountable for those things. The last thing is, I, I like to use the word IP doctor, <laughs> kind of internet protocol doctor, IPDRR. Those are the letters for the acronyms for identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. So even the ability to be able to recover is covered by NIST framework. So extremely important tool, one that's free, provided by the government and gives you that great framework to be able to strengthen um, your network, your technology, as well as the human factor. So I just wanna go back and reiterate, here are seven keys to strengthen the human factor for you and your organization. Number one, beliefs. It starts with that culture. Remember the Barron School District or other schools that I, that I gave you examples of? It really does start with character from the leadership. You have to have a caring culture that really cares about cybersecurity. Number two, use that NIST framework, map of what to do and the steps to take, the IP doctor, so to speak. You need an IP doctor to be able to stay secure, so to speak. Do regular risk assessments. That's part of the NIST framework, making sure you understand what is that assessment currently in your network. But tomorrow morning or even an hour from now, your risk may have changed and you may not know it if you don't have regular risk assessments. Kind of like going to the doctor. Yes, we're being proactive if we go for a checkup. Uh, a lot better than going after we find out that we have some kind of disease or other uh, health uh, risk. Number four, passwords. 
I just want to encourage you. It's not good enough to say, well, I use the same password on lots of different accounts, or I know a couple, and I keep them simple so I can remember them. You need to have complex passwords, and in order to do that, we as humans can't remember them all. That's another human factor piece. So it's important that you use an enterprise password manager, like LastPass. Number five, social engineering. There are tools and programs out there that will help you educate and measure continuously who in your organization is prone to being fished. And, and this is right now probably the number one way the bad guys get a hold of your email, they do some reconnaissance, and they really go and fish you. Let me give you an example of a phishing email that came to me on one occasion here within the last year. It started out with, hi, Dane. Hey, I see that on your careers page, on your website, you're looking for another engineer. I've been in the business now over 30 years, and so I have a lot of the very same talents and skill sets that you are looking for. If you take a look at my attached resume, I'm sure you'll find that I'll be a good fit for your company because I know how to blend in with culture and I understand leadership. Give me a call soon. Best regards, Bob. And the email, if I look at the email, it came from Bob King. Well, I was really excited about that. I thought, hey, look at that. He's got leadership and character. He's using words that are key for me, but he's also looked at my website, so he's done his homework. So I clicked on that attachment, and guess what? All the alarms went off in my building going, hey, this is an infected attachment. I had violated one of my own principles, and one of the things I teach my people is to hover over a email address of anybody that I have never received an email from before to be sure it came from them. Well, when I went up and hovered over that email later, it wasn't from a Bob King at all. And so I got fished. Fortunately, my system stopped the infected attachment. But if they hadn't, potentially I could have gotten ransomware or just had malware installed on my computer or on my network and not even known it. So. Even us, and I know the FBI director, previous FBI director also was almost fished one time for his money. So we are all vulnerable. No one is, is ever um, immune from those kinds of attacks. The other thing which a lot of people are not familiar with is to monitor the dark web. Get alerts on your domain. As an example, uh, many of you probably have never heard of the Ashley Madison hack, but if you have, you know that that wasn't a, a site, a website set up so that people could, could uh, practice infidelity. They could carry on relationships without their mates knowing it. And that, that site got hacked, and the hackers put all of the personal information of the people who belong to it out on the web. And once they'd done that, there are even instances where people committed suicide because of the load of guilt afterwards. But the reason that that was such a dangerous uh, situation was because, and I can still look at this today and see that in the dark web scans that I do, sometimes people who believe that their employees or the people in their organization are using their emails for good and only for business, we find those emails out on the dark web underground and having been used to go, for instance, to set up an account on Ashley Madison. So do you have a policy, and this goes right back to the human factor again, do you have a policy in your organization that your email can should only be used for company business? And what's going to happen if you determine that one of your employees actually logged in and created an account with Ashley Madison and was later, uh, for instance, 
hacked and their email was put underground. That puts your entire company at risk. And seriously, I have been on the underground and looked at the dark web and seen manufacturing companies whose people's email from that manufacturing company was used to create an account at Ashley Madison. So it's very real. And that's probably one of the darker parts of the human factor. Get managed services. Do you know if your antivirus is updated? Do you know if your firewall is updated? Uh, everything that goes into your network in terms of technology has to be constantly updated. And so getting managed services that allow a automated capability to, to monitor all of your network makes a big difference. That will help minimize your human factor. So people don't have to run around and update your antivirus on every machine. It automatically gets updated. You look in one little window and it'll tell you which machines were updated and which ones were not. And then you can manage by exception instead of trying to manage the entire network. If you had 500 computers, it would be overwhelming. The last thing, and I mentioned it earlier, is firewall logging. Make sure if you have a firewall, you turn the log on. Some of you will leave this, or this, this presentation today, go home and ask about firewall logging, and you'll find out that there's no log, or that your firewall is not capable of logging. And that should tell you something in terms of your human factor. You need to be alert and be able to be alerted when things are happening in your network. So a couple of thoughts in terms of call to action. How can you help yourself move ahead with all these these seven keys to uh, strengthening the human factor. Number one, partner with a team or as a team member with a reputable cybersecurity company. Not every IT company that hangs a shingle out there knows cybersecurity. Number two, make sure you have a budget. If you haven't created a budget and actually planned for this in their budget, you need to do that soon. Number three, use that NIST framework to outline your needs. Get a free dark web scan, and you can contact me after the seminar. I'd be happy to do one for you, and we'll walk through it together so you can see what the bad guys see about your company underground. Five, make sure you get a phishing test and or product or service and measure your ability to be fished amongst your users and your organization consistently. Number then, six, do a risk assessment. Then okay, that's a second step, yeah. Yeah, just so you know, you're, you're, you're 10 minutes to uh, 2 o'clock. Okay, thank you very much. And I'm almost done. We're right at the end here. So risk assessment is a second grade step. If you don't know what's going on in your network right now, we want to make sure you know, and we can help you with that. Managed services, like I talked about before, is critical for real-time monitoring and for many, many different reasons. And finally, just create a new mindset in your organization, in your culture that cybersecurity is an everyday event and it needs to be something that is top of mind for everyone so that you're not the weakest link in cybersecurity. Be coachable and be a team member. So that pretty much explains most of the things that I, I think I went through everything. Introduction, Dane and Bobby Black had. We talked about the real threat, the human factor, what kind of process and procedures you can use with NIST. Getting into NIST and downloading those PDFs will help you with that. Increase your cyber awareness. How do you identify those weak links with social engineering tools and security breaches with logs and firewalls? And what to do when breach or compromise? Of course, that means you will have already partnered with a company that's reputable and trusted to help you identify where that breach was and recover like the NIST um, framework explains.
you and I are the weakest link. So I appreciate everybody coming to the seminar today. I hope this was really informational for you. Maybe it set a foundation. And uh, so Ben and I would like to take some questions uh, from any of you in terms of any of the areas we've talked about. And then again, just want to remind you that um, it's perfectly um, okay if you contact me or if you want me to contact you to be able to give you a free dark web scan for taking the time to listen to our, our message and, uh, and help increase and improve your cybersecurity posture. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dane. Uh, we are going to go through the Q&A section for now. Um, so if you have any question for Dane, uh, please use the chat option and, uh, and type your question. We will read it for the group and then we'll answer to it. Do we have any questions? Uh, Deborah, the contact information uh, will be uh, Actually, there is one more slide with Dan contact information if you have any questions for Dan. Yeah, I'd be happy to answer any questions offline too. Sometimes people in, in the past have been compromised or breached and they're too afraid to bring it out in a call like this. And I, I totally understand that. And, and I'd be happy to chat with you offline. So we do have a question from Tim. Uh, how much is a good budget for a new starting so proprietorship. <laughs> That's a great question. So um, we, we just spoke to a couple of schools recently and they actually are getting a grant from the government. Uh, there were three different aspects to a cybersecurity risk assessment on its own. And each one of those was around $5,000. So you should expect that if you get help from outside, you're gonna talk anywhere from 15,000 or 10 to $15,000 for a good risk assessment minimum very minimum, um, if you get the right kind of company to do it so you see the entire scope. And then the rest of it is just gonna be, um, as you're filling out your, your uh, NIST cybersecurity framework, you'll be able to actually attach costs to some of that by looking at it going, okay, well, if I do this, then I need this. If I do this, I need this. But I can tell you, we have monitoring services that start as low as $8 per machine. And then we also have um, logging services that are in the per log per firewall um, between 50 and $100 per firewall. So there's lots of things I can help you with in terms of just kind of giving you uh, what's out there in the industry in terms of uh, budgeted items. Um, Steve Rutkovitz is with us today too. Um, Steve might be able to add some, some value to that question as well. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Tim, for your question. Uh, Follow-up question, uh, how long does it take to perform a risk assessment? So that's a great uh, great question. Steve, are you out there? Can you climb on? Yes, I'm here. Yes, yeah, so risk assessment, um, as far as how, how long it takes, if you do the NIST framework along with the actual scans that need to be done to collect all the data to understand the risk, usually take about three to four weeks from start to finish. And a lot of it depends on the size of your organization, <clears throat> but in particular, that gives you kind of a, a, a feel for it. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Dane. Uh, Follow-up question from Deborah. I am a small home-based business with two computers. Is that too small for these kind of services? Yeah, so I think the key to that uh, answer to that question is kind of like Kate Welding, very small company. Um, they have a server, not just two 
uh, machines, but any machine can be used by bad the bad guys to attack other people or carry out what it is they, they are actually trying to do. You've probably heard of what they call the Internet of Things out there now. And that means that your washing machine, your car, your, your microwave, anything that has a computerization to it can be used as a weaponized system by the bad guys. So even if you have two machines, there are still certain standards that you can use to secure those two machines and know that you haven't been compromised. So um, you don't necessarily have to go through a full risk assessment, but you definitely need to hit on some of the major elements like your password management and knowing um, that you've got your antivirus updated, have monitoring on and all that kind of thing. Um, so you're probably going to be at the lower end of a budget, Deborah, than uh, somebody who has 500 or 700 machines like some of the schools we visited recently. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Deborah, for your question. Do we have any other questions? Again, if, if uh, you have a question in the future, uh, you certainly uh, uh, can uh, email uh, or contact Dane. If you uh, miss the information, you can certainly send uh, your question to me and I will forward it to him. And Ben, if I can one more time just uh, offer this again, anyone that was on this call today as a, a, uh, um, a, a benefit, I just want to offer that free dark web scan. So if you call me up or email me, I'll connect with you and I'll take you through the underground and we'll take a look at what might be on the underground uh, for your domain, okay, or your email. Thank you, Dane. So I do not see any other question coming up. Um, we uh, are going to uh, conclude again. If you have additional questions, uh, Dane's information will be uh, uh, at the end of this uh, this webinar. Um, just want to let you know also that uh, in, in within probably uh, uh, an hour or two, you will receive a survey. If you can spend a couple of minutes to um, uh, fill the survey, it will help us to uh, uh, to improve our future webinars. That uh, webinar was hosted uh, conjointly by uh, uh, Juno County Economic Development Corporation and the Wisconsin Procurement Institute, and presented by Dane Deutsch, president of DCS Netlink. Uh, Dane's information is here if you want to contact him. Again, I want to thank Dane for his excellent presentation today and everybody for attending. I wish you a great rest of your day and uh, hopefully we will uh, see you soon in, in another webinar. Thank you, bye-bye. Thank you everyone.